Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another week of the Everything Early Childhood podcast. I am so excited to be with you all today and um, just wanted to take a moment just to check in with you, see how you're going today, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And um, can I say that I have thoroughly enjoyed this past week hearing from a lot of you um, inspired by different podcasts that we've released. Um, I think we're up to almost episode 30 um, as we go through releasing an episode every Thursday. Um, We may have a break over Christmas. I will let you know. I'll keep you posted, but um, we'll see how we go. Now, if you've been following along in previous weeks, um, I was very, very lucky and over October, I went on a beautiful experience um, to Europe. Um, so we went to um, Italy, then Iceland, um, and then all around UK and Scotland to visit early learning centres and see what they're all about in that part of the world. Um, So what I thought is I'll do a three-part series um, looking at each area and sort of my take, my observations, um, some of my favourite things from each place and um, yeah, we'll just see what comes out um, and just some facts from um, each of the places that we visited. So let's get started with place number one, Italy. (laughs) So we arrived in Italy Um, into Rome and um, we travelled to our hotel. So um, this trip was with a group of 10 people. Um, Can I say the most amazing people? Um, Most of the other people we were with were from the UK. Um, So just really, really lovely. Picked up some different things um, along the way and we're just talking about how many different words we have. Um, So even though obviously we both speak English, um, you know, all the different words we use for different things. So that was so much fun. So when we arrived um, into Rome to our hotel, um, we were due to meet some of the others that were coming over with us. And but we had about, let's say, five hours free. So rather than sitting around the hotel, um, just twiddling our thumbs and waiting, we're like, come on, let's go. So we got in an Uber. Um, But before we got in our Uber, we asked the lady at the front desk, we said, okay, where's all the places that we should see? And um, she circled all of these places on the map, of course, the Colosseum, um, you know, Arc de Triomphe, all of these things um, all around Rome. And um, I asked her, I said, oh, okay, so how long is it going to take us to see all of this? She said, "Uh, three days. And so that's fine. We took our map and I said to the um, to our team, I said, we've got 
three hours. So we need to see all of these places in three hours. Um, and we legitimately did. We walked and walked and walked. Um, half of the things we were seeing, we saw everything, but half of the things we were seeing, we have n- had no idea what they were. But I'm just like, quick, get a photo. Let's get a photo. Let's see it. What else do you want to see? Let's keep going. Let's go. Let's go. Um, and it was just a quick <laughs> three hour walk into a, a Rome to see everything. Um, and it was really, really amazing. Um, and we did, we saw everything. So it was really, really incredible. Um, so that was day one. Um, day two, obviously we, um, went to a service. So, um, in Rome, um, just outside of Rome, there was this, um, early learning service when um we arrived um it's beautiful it had these gates and just these like chicken wire fences you walk down this gravel pathway um from the main street through this like bush type area and then you walk down the pathway and you get to the gate um the gate was was um had a lock on it we could just open the lock and and go straight in um, when you walked in, I'll just describe what it looked like first and then maybe tell you some things about it. Um, so when you walked in, there was a building directly in front of us and a ramp to walk into the building. Um, it was a very small um, house-like um, type building and um, you could see there were windows. Um, it was almost made out of um, like clayish almost or... Uh, yeah, but anyway, it was beautiful. To the right of that or to the in front of that, there was all this grass area. To the left, all this grass area. And then to the right um, was we could see all the children playing um, and there was a grass area there as well, all filled just with grass. Um, we could see um, logs around in a circle. We could see some tables in the distance um, with almost like pallet-like chairs Um, We could see some tables made out of recycled pallets and some chairs. So there were three tables. Um, We could see uh, on the tables. So the experiences that they had set up on the first table was um, a creative experience. So they had all the different paints and the way they stored the paints were in these crates. Um, So these wooden crates and they had all the paints stored in those. They were just like little tiny like 500 mil type ones that you could squeeze the paint out Um, and then they just had all of these random things that the children were painting so leaves boxes um, they were even painting the crates as well that they were coming in Um, and then once we walked around to the right hand side where there was this big play space in that big play space behind where the logs were in the circle, there was a a wooden climbing frame. Um, there was this wooden square structure. Um, we weren't sure what that was, but we figured out that that was just storage. They just stored some things in there. And, um, as we walked around, we continued the yard actually went the whole way around the building, the outdoor space. So at the back of the building was almost like, a we would have called it a shed. Um, but in the shed was actually amazing when you went in there, it was like, um, almost like an art studio but it it looked almost like a dumping ground but when you actually looked closer at things um you know they had 
they were experimenting and they had a bucket with all paper in it. Then they had this other bucket that was covered in this cloth and when you lifted up the cloth, it was just a clay um, that, yeah. And so as we went through the day, we started to find out more and more um, about what these experiences were and what they did. They had heaps of ropes um, that the children were climbing that were connected to trees. Um, they had a swinging rope on the on the tree they had um, some – what else did they have? The children were just climbing trees. Um, I remember the first day they had a dog at the centre and we asked the um, pe- the educators or the teachers at the centre, like, where does the dog – they said, that's just one of the teacher's dogs. They bring it into the centre um, and the children love it. So – and I remember this little girl, this poor dog, this little girl was just chasing this dog around for the entire, entire morning. So uh, when we walked in, you could feel just – Real energy, love. Um, Italy for me was filled with really feminine energy um, and just real, just so much love. Um, the children had so much space to be able to explore and um, develop in in the spaces. Um, and I remember thinking there were so many, there were so many things that happened in the environment that we sort of had to step back as an observer to see what the natural instincts for the service and the teachers were. Um, So some of those were, um, you know, around hygiene, for example, which um, one of the educators was, oh my gosh, he was absolutely incredible. Um, So creative. And every time I saw him doing something, it was something that was um, even more creative than the next. So they started the morning off um, around the fire So they lit the fire um, where all the logs were. The children lit the fire themselves. So um, they were around. There was a teacher with them um, and they, yeah, they lit the fire themselves. They had the starter. So the child was holding the starter and they lit the fire in the middle of their circle where all the logs were. Um, their children were holding sticks, putting them in the fire. Other children were getting leaves and throwing them into the fire as well. And then they played some music. So they sang a song and played some music. And with that, all the children started to come around and gather around the fire. So that's how the day started. Then one of the educators came over with their what they call bruschetta. Um, I refer to bruschetta or bruschetta um, as, you know, the bread with the tomato on it. But in Italy, it's just bread. So it's just toasted bread. So they had all this bread um, from the kitchen and um, they had this so put this grill plate over the fire. And one of the educators went there and was toasting the bread on the fire as this was happening, the children were um, singing. So they did this dance and this song to um, say thank you to the fire for cooking their food. And then after they sang a song, and an action song, and we, we joined in um, around um, thanking the fire for cooking the food and thanking all the food and the sun for coming out today. So that was really, really special. Um, and it was really lovely just to be around the fire, have the music, real music. So they were playing guitar. The following day they were playing the drums um, and then also playing the trumpet. And 
I've got this video and I'll post this video of um, one of the educators or the teachers. He's playing his guitar and then next to him is one of his friends, one of the little boys, and he's playing the, um, oh, crap, what is it called? Um, ugh, I can't think of the name. You know you know that little silver thing that you play um, and you blow into it? Gosh, it escaped me. Anyway, you know what I mean harmonica that's it so their little harmonica and they're just playing their little tune together and it was just such a beautiful moment another little boy was dancing over to the music that they were playing and it really was just beautiful to see each child be able to be their own person um, and no matter who they were in that space, that was okay. They weren't forced to come and all sit down. They weren't forced to, um, you know, participate in the song or the music. They, If a child wanted to play music, they could play music. If they wanted to dance to the music, they could dance to the music. If they wanted to be over the other side of the yard playing on the climbing um, frames, they could do that as well. Um, or continue the craft everything that we experienced at this particular setting was really smooth Um, I remember um, after after they ate um, the yard just seemed a lot quieter and we didn't even notice or didn't even realize but after they ate they had taken a group into the other space um, outdoor space and all that it was separated by was just this little gate um, at this particular service they had two to five year olds um, and they so they took the twos into their yard um, they each have dedicated educators or teachers that work with them um, each day in their spaces and they choose based on the educator's decision um, who would like to work in the spaces with the children. So I remember talking to some educators and they had been with the same children for four years um, and they had moved up with those children for four years and had them for four years. Um, Going back to some things that we sort of had to stand back. So we saw um, children um, like play fighting, um and we just stood back and that was fine they just play they play for with each other there was no intervention no one intervened they had their play fight and then moved on to something else um we did see a little girl who (laughs) we thought it was quite extreme they um she was running and she tripped over um one of the um roots on the tree and it was quite a big fall um, and so no one came over and so the little girl she's just like I'm okay I'm okay I'm fine and she just like dusted it off and got back up um, and got up and and continued on with her day um, and then you know like children arguing and fighting and not sharing all of that happened too um, and where the teachers needed to intervene they did but it was very very rare that they actually did intervene in those times of the day and um, I remember there was only probably one time that they did intervene because the children's argument um, was getting out of control and so the teacher needed to intervene to talk to them both about what was happening and what was upsetting them and they did they had a conversation about it we couldn't understand what they were saying because it was in Italian but you could see them just having that conversation this is their side this is my side and how can we you know solve solve that together 
And it was really beautiful for the teachers to take that time and take that moment out to help them resolve that conflict with each other and I it made me question a lot like do we intervene too much and I know in our service previously um, with our teams we really reflect on you know interfering or intervening um, or just joining in play like do you ask when you join play can I play with you is it okay if I join you we know that children's play changes as soon as an adult intervenes and this was really clear to me that we don't need children. I mean, it's something that I've known for a long time, but it was great to be able to see it in practice that children don't need us as much as we think they do. They are so capable and they are so confident that I think that we like to be busy in Australia and I think we like to um, – think that the children need us and and we've created a role for ourselves that has become an entertainer and we feel like we have to entertain children all the time but in actual fact it is good for children to be bored it is good for children to be able to self-discover and learn um, grow solve that conflict and have that resolution with their peers there was, there was a bit of a structure to the day. It was very, very loose. Um, they said to us they always start the morning with the fire and they have um, the morning tea around the fire. Um, one of the moments that we were like, oh, okay. Uh, one of the ladies that we were with, amazing, her name was Laura, she went up to one of the teachers and said, um, oh, one of the little girls has just dropped the um, fruit on the floor and um, you know can we can we get a new piece of fruit and the teacher said oh no 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 we don't waste food here um, we teach the children that they can take the fruit and wash it um, and clean it and eat it so they took the child to go and wash the piece of fruit that had dropped on the floor and then eat and then ate it um, because they said they don't waste food Um, And they were really encouraging us to eat, eat, eat um, because they didn't want to waste any of the food either. So we, interestingly, the children were um, obviously able to climb trees, 20 metre trees on the um, barrier of of the premise. Um, They were sitting on tables doing their craft. They were... um, like there were lots of different risky things that they were doing, but they were safe. They were in control of their bodies. Um, there was like this reading area. So this like, I would always call it like a puppet area that had these chairs. So after their circle around the fire, the, one of the teachers um, got the children excited about what books they brought today um, and why they were reading that book. And the children were really excited. So the teacher went over to the this area, the puppet area, and the children sat on the seats and they read the book um, all outside, all outdoors. And um, so during this time, we did get a tour of indoors. They had three rooms um, inside, very minimalistic. Um, So like in one room was just, they had their lockers. So that's where their bags were stored. Um, They had just a box with just all material and dress ups and things in there. Um, In the next one, they had like place, like just very um, minimal play things for uh, like we, what we would call, I guess, home corner or dramatic play. 
Um, nothing on the walls, like very, very minimal. Um, they had like a round table with some chairs, some little bead frames. Um, like there wasn't really much at all. Um, some books, their water bottles, um, and then an area where they stored their gum boots um, or to go out to go outside um when if it was raining and i mean in italy just just the weather was really hot so we um like we had to buy aeroguard there were bugs it was hot um some of the children were taking actually taking their shirts off um and that's fine they were just running around with their shorts on it was fine for them only to have that um barefoot most of them were barefoot the entire time um it was a really beautiful day um, and really beautiful weather. And um, if the children, so in the twos, there were a lot of accidents, um, as in we accidents. And so all they did, they literally just took off their clothes outside, washed them in the sink, hung them up to dry on the window um, and just changed them. And it was no big deal. Like it was just part of the day. They didn't take them in. And I know there's a lot of questions about respecting children's privacy. And I, and I do respect that as well. Um, but it's just it just goes to show that it doesn't have to be a big deal it doesn't have to be an interruption to the day it can just be that beautiful flow um, of the day because everything is a part of the day Um, lunchtime was also another really beautiful experience Um, again there was no and I did a post about this on um, my Facebook page if you want to have a look at the photos Um, but it was just beautiful, unrushed. Um, two of the children were obviously hungry. So they um, were with the teacher and they helped the teacher set the table. So they put a tablecloth over the table and then those two children went and got their lunch boxes. Um, so they carried their lunch boxes back out to the table under the tree. And then all of their friends saw that they were getting their lunch boxes. So some of the other friends came over and then eventually all the friends came over and um, they all ate together. The kitchen brought out all the food because we were really confused. We saw their lunch boxes and so we were curious. So we went over to see um, what type of food the families were packing them in their lunch boxes and the lunch boxes were actually empty. So they the, the chef, which is another interesting, point um, is a which was a parent so they actually get parents to who have a day in the kitchen so they pay the parents um, to have a day in the kitchen to volunteer and um, which I thought was really really interesting and so they the parents help um, run the service and then they brought brought out all the food so salad um, at this particular one um there's, they didn't have any meat, so it was just um, salad, egg, um, and what else did we eat? Salad, egg, and pasta, of course. Um, so lettuce, um, it was like a pumpkin pasta and egg, um, and oh, it was so delicious. And the children just sat and they ate under the tree all together, and there were cats <laughs> running around everywhere. 
Um, but then on the um, on the outside of the building, there were taps and sinks um, in a lot of places. So there are at least four of them so that they could either fill up their water bottle, um, wash their hands. Um, and it was they were used a lot. And it got me thinking that perhaps we need to have more sinks on the outsides of our building so that we can use it in Australia for more um, more things um, in the outdoor environments as well. The outside of the building was not like perfect. There were like these stick, um, almost like what we would call, you know how we make the Christmas trees that hang like with all the different size sticks. Um, there was paint so that it looked like the children had painted their names or words um, on the building. So it was a very child-based um, environment. And the two, I guess the two things were like around hygiene. So there, one educator was blowing the trumpet um, and he just gave it to the other child to have a turn and all the children were having a turn. Um, he just wiped it with his shirt and then he had a turn. Um, so which is fine and something we would do in our home environments really anyway. Um, the children participating in music was so beautiful. Um, they didn't use the indoor environment at all. Um, they only had three tables set up and that was part of their routine and what they do. So three tables. Um, one of the other things that they do each day as well. So they said they, um, so one of the edge, one of the teachers was around the back of the building um, with the children and we went over and we said, what's happening here? And he said, every day we dry out the clay and then the children smash up the clay in the box and then we add water and then we reuse the clay. So that was just part of their everyday ritual that they um, reuse the clay um, from their creations and um, yeah quite simply they changed over the experiences on the three tables um, as the children asked for more things and um, so they had like these cardboard squares that they just put on the craft table and um, the children participated in those. And interestingly, in the afternoon, there were actually was the first time that we saw like paper and pencils for, I guess, writing or literacy experiences. Um, they believe that children will learn when they're ready and not to rush um, children in their development. So they and and these services were really unique in the sense that they actually had a school. So they had a school. It wasn't attached to the building, but it was a part of um, down the road, um, which we got to visit as well. And um, so that was to 16 years. So after their schooling, after their early years, they could transition to the school. Um, So they had about 40 students at the school. And um, we we also went with um, some of the people on our trip actually ran a similar service in the UK. And so it was really interesting for them. They wanted to go and see the um, how the school ran. And at the school, they had uh, what we would call... Yeah, so it was really interesting. In the morning, they would have their learning sessions um, and then in the afternoon, they would have like extracurricular. All of their lessons are taught by specialists. So, um, for example, like in the afternoon when we arrived, they were doing like pixel art classes um, taught by an artist and then we walked around the building. Um, So this was in a separate building to the early years. Um, A Beautiful. It was an old barn. Um, So they had a gymnasium. They had upstairs 
upstairs was all these like tiny classrooms and then they had a library and a kitchen and you could just, you know, those old, um, I'm going to call it terracotta type buildings that just hold the smell of the food and it was so delicious, like just the smell walking past the kitchen and so we went up and we went around the, the, the rooms, the classrooms upstairs and none of them had ownership over a space. They just said we use, they have a homeroom where their items are stored and they store their items in the same room every day. But whoever needs to use the spaces can use the spaces. Um, it wasn't designated for one group. Um, and then so outside this, um, we went around the building and then on the outside was these ch- children sitting around this table and they were drawing and the teacher had had just um like sticky taped a big piece of paper to the wall and he was a comic teacher so he was teaching them to draw comics and then as we kept walking around the we saw these creations made out of these they almost look like shells but like rock rock like pumice stones um but apparently they're called uh it's like bristle block or I'll get the exact name but the children have made these creations out of them and we could see the progression like we could see the natural ones where they'd shaped and formed them then we could see the next step which they painted them and decorated them and they were stored as just centerpieces around the school and then um, there was these 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 children that just happened to be all boys um, over to the left side of the um, school and the outside and they were um, they had rocks and stones and leaves and all these little objects and the teacher explained to us that they just had some free time so the the, the students were um, creating their own game now they didn't speak English and what was really sweet about the school was that um, yeah they didn't speak English but they were learning English so they were practicing with each other um, how to say hello in English to us um, and it was so sweet but they um, had so much fun teaching us different words in Italian and um, we they were so excited to show us around their school even though we couldn't understand what they were saying. Um, they were so excited to show us around and everywhere um, and to keep communicating with us in Italian even though we couldn't understand what they were saying. But there were these boys and they were doing this game and somehow without any language at all they got us through um, – visuals and and body language and gestures to join in and understand how to play the game they said we need um you know and they use their fingers we need four of these um go and find these and then you win a prize and he communicated that to us um without even using a word so it was just really incredible to see that level of confidence and communication be able to be um you know, able to be explained and, and reciprocated. So I guess what came out of it is the opportunity, like do we spend too much time decorating our indoor spaces? So, you know, them being really minimalistic, like, you know, we say that we are short of time, but is that where our time is going, like decorating and putting, and I love indoor spaces. Um, you know, it's one of my favorite things, but, you know, by putting everything everywhere like are we you know overwhelming is are we creating an overwhelming overstimulated space that is going to cause those um you know troubling and challenging behaviors like is it too much is it overstimulating are we putting too much of our time on 
creating too much in those indoor spaces and putting up too much? Is that where our time is best spent? Um, The other question that sort of came out of it for me was, you know, what is the use of an indoor space and what is the balance between indoor and outdoor spaces? Um, I know recently we've just had the, um, you know, outdoor day, um, outdoor classroom day where it was so amazing. I love seeing everyone's beautiful photos of what they were doing outside, eating outside, sleeping outside, um, you know, doing their experiences outside and having just come back from this trip, I was looking at the photos and, I questioned and a lot of like obviously the posts and things were like we loved it it was amazing how incredible like it was such an amazing day and I questioned and I and I thought to myself I reflected and I said well if we've enjoyed that day so much why do we spend so much time inside like if that is a thoroughly enjoyable day if we're more relaxed because we know that fresh air for children is and for everyone is healthy sun you know vitamin d is um, like great for us um you know for health reasons for you know mental health stability um focus why aren't we spending more of our time outdoors? Because every single thing that we do indoors, we can also do outdoors. Um, one, so it might be something to think about for you and your service. So one of the other uh, really beautiful things about that first service was that they had a farm. So across the road from the early learning um, space was the, was a farm. So the children went over to the farm and they visited all the animals um, and they were all orphan animals. So they take them and look after them. And they had heaps, donkeys, ducks, guinea pigs, cats, um, cows, horses. And when, we were so lucky because when we visited, they just got two new baby goats. And so they were introducing the baby goats to the children for the first time so that the children know because they had sheep but they were talking about the difference between sheep and goats Um, and so they met the new baby goats and they then went and um, the teacher on the farm so they rotate people and it was this teacher's year um, to be on the farm and so she did all the farm work and um, it was her job to plan experiences with the children for the farm and so for this day they actually had wool Um, from the sheep and they were making their own wool so as it comes off the sheep in the big layers each child got their own and they got these like I don't know what they're called but they were they to describe them they were wood with nails um out out of it so they had two of those and so in they would place in the middle the bit of wool and they would work the wool so move it up and down and work the wool in order to make them into like these wooden strands that they could use to make things out of. Um, And it was really, it was great to see them engaged um, in exploring the different textures and textiles. Um, Some people in our group were quite taken back by the farm. I love animals and for me they, they, have the same emotion and the same feeling as with children, you know, just that love and connection. And um, I think it's really important for children to have exposure to different animals. Um, But in the, I don't know in the UK if they have so many different animals. So we went in two groups. So they took the children over in two groups. So some of our group went over with the first lot of children and um, they came back quite 
traumatized as they were described so they said the the horse got out of its pen um the horse was just running the donkeys were following it the children were just there like they didn't feel like it was quite safe or perhaps quite safe um the children were running around the farm with no shoes on so we didn't see like in our services obviously we need to wash our hands a lot during the day so you know on their arrival on their departure before eating when coming inside um if they've touched something dirty like like animals for example um in Italy there was not really any washing of hands um which you know I guess being exposed or research says being exposed to germs builds up your immunity as well um and as kids like for me running around and doing things like we were reflecting on had did you ever hear your mum say like you know wash your hands and some families will say absolutely like you know our parents used to say you know wash up for wash up for dinner go and wash your hands um my family was not like that um so we didn't hear it often my husband said his family weren't like that either so we just grew up um and that not being a really really common thing or something that was ingrained in us and I listened to a podcast the other day which was talking about that and they can they said that we have these unconscious biases um and they're like cultural biases so from our upbringing we develop these beliefs that may not be our beliefs, but it's just something that we did. So washing washing hands was the example that she gave. Um, you know, if your parents were all for like, you know, washing hands all the time, it's something that you did. But if your parents were not, then, um, you know, it's just not something that you think about. But um, the other, ex- the reason that she was talking about that is that she was, ta- she was saying that we need to actually question whether we believe that or not and we need to allow children to question that if they believe that or not so um like for example um a child says no I don't want to go to sleep I just want to stay out playing video games um and this is quite extreme so don't get me wrong um you know let them like let them experiment let them see what it's like just say okay you know oh I haven't heard this before all right what do you need to stay up all night you can you can say like you know we really would we encourage you to go to bed early so that you're not going to feel like rubbish in the morning because you know that you've got to get up at 8am or whatever um but okay well you want to be out playing video games let them explore let them develop like let them see for themselves and then but just say the deal is you can stay out playing video games all night but you have to be up at 8am and so they have to get up at 8am and if they're going to feel like rubbish nine times out of ten they're going to be like oh yeah you're right I do feel like rubbish today but um you know, so maybe I might not do that again. But with with us, and I mean, another really example is washing hands. Like, oh, nah, I don't want to wash my hands. Well, you need to wash your hands. Well, why? And undergo that experiment. Like just in the podcast, she was saying that one of the experiments was like, oh, okay, this is new. Like, why don't you want to wash your hands? Like, is it the water? You know, maybe we can test the temperature. Maybe we can do some research to find out, you know, what is the best, um, if there's another way that we can kill germs, maybe we can use hand sanitizer. And instead of just putting our foot down and and taking that control, um, you know, really putting, giving them the child back that control to be able to make the decisions and, 
not even make the decisions, but be able to see all of the information um, and data and make their own decision and formulate that. So in the example about washing hands, she said, okay, well, you don't have to wash your hands this week, but let's make a deal that if you get sick, because often we'll say, well, you'll get sick. If you don't wash your hands, you'll get sick because the germs on your hands. So the parent said, okay, well, the deal is that after a week, if you don't get sick, then you don't need to wash your hands. And whilst that might not work, and whilst you might think, you know, you might think it's important for children to wash their hands, um, really, yeah, maybe look at the alternatives to that and the reason why the child doesn't want to do it rather than just saying, no, you need to do it. Because sometimes there is, you know, a legitimate reason they might not like the texture of the water on their hands. Um, they may not like sanitizer, like the, the texture of sanitizer, for example. So really important to just pause and stop and take that moment to, um, you know, ask the children. So the school, so we went to the early learning, the school, to the farm. And so the uh, back to the farm. So the only the other reason is because most of the children didn't have shoes on going into the farm and they were just stepping all over all of the, like, all of the poo of the animals and, and whatever. And I'm like, that's fine. They can just wash their feet. But to others, they thought that was really disgusting um, and that there should be some times that, uh, that children have to wear shoes. Um, in our visit to the farm, we went over with the other children. It was it was it was beautiful. It was fine. A really amazing experience. So, isn't it funny how different people can have different um, experiences? And so the final day um, in Rome. Um, so we we visited that preschool, the school, and then on our third day in Rome, we went to the mountains. Um, and this was another nature based kindergarten. And at this nature-based kindergarten, it was all the way from two-year-olds to 16-year-olds in the one space, but they had different, um, I guess, places. So the older children spent a lot more time indoors. The younger children, it we when we arrived, we saw these children, I'm not even joking, like it would have been like at least 200 metres away um, in this structure. So it was made out of these massive cable reels. It was this net um, thing that they were laying in, um, these ladders, these platforms that the children had all made. And the children were just laying in it. Like this place was huge. Um, they were, it was surrounded by trees. Um, so it was surrounded by the bush and um, – yeah, it was it was really really incredible. So the, again, really small indoor space, really large outdoor space, so much space. And so when we walked in, there were these children over in that space. I think about three or four of them. And we looked around because at first we just walked around to explore the space. And we looked around, and there were no teachers anywhere. And it got us questioning around supervision. So obviously in Australia, the um, law is that children need to be adequately supervised at all times. But what does that look like? Like what does that actually look like and what does that entail? And I would really encourage you to have a look at that within your service and and what that looks like for you and really critically reflect around that because this was quite eye-opening that 
and we have been to services in Australia previously where the children can leave this, the room. They can leave the room. They can go into the, I guess, foyer area to the library, um, go into the other rooms of their own accord or obviously in a lot of services um, using multiple spaces. So using um, the library, the room, the outdoor space, everything's open. The children can flow between the spaces, which is really beautiful experience. And I almost wonder if we have a fear or an anxiety that, oh my gosh, I can't see them. I can't see them. Like, where are they? What are they doing? Like, is that supervision? Like, are we allowing children to really have the time and space to be able to be themselves, to create, to um, innovate, to be able to really play and explore? Um So really question and really look at what supervision is because when we asked, and it was really interesting because in this service, um, they, or in this setting, uh, there was a parent there and I said to the parent, I said, does it make you nervous that the teachers were not near the children? And she said, no, because there's fences and I know that, um, I know that the children are safe and they'll go and see a teacher if they need something. Um, And then the teachers said, you know, we may not know where the children are, but they know where we are. And I thought that's so interesting. So it's actually the opposite, like the other way around. Um, and it was true. They were with groups of children doing experiences. Um, so one experience that was being set up. So what they do, they have these like little carts. So these little wheelie carts um, with a metal cart and they have things in there. So they ask the children in the morning what they would like to do for the day and they put it in the cart. And so this day they had clay and they had lots of like natural loose parts that they'd collected. So heaps of leaves and nuts and um, shells and lots of different natural items. Um, so they put the clay and they they moved tables. So there was like these tables spread across this land. I'm not even going to say yard. It's not a yard. It's like land. It's beautiful. Um, and they moved these tables closer together and they set up this experience with the children. So they had clay, they had loose, loose parts or these loose items and a teacher was with them. Um, another experience, the children wanted to continue building. Um, so they, um, as in building the structure that they were playing on so they had all the tools and the um and they dragged this like extension cord like 200 meters across the yard then they had another extension cord connected to that I'm not saying this is safe for Australia I'm just describing the experience there um all stretched across the yard and um for the power tools that they plugged in um in order to build and design this structure um with the children so that was the second experience and then the third experience was that they asked the children if they who wanted to go for a walk in the Bosco which is the forest um so they took them for a walk through the forest and this was the most serene and beautiful experience that I've ever had with children so um and it literally probably only lasted half an hour so the children took the lead so just the there was like this gate so it wasn't just like the children could just go into the bush although in their yard they did have a bushed area um so there was this gate and the children went through the gate with two teachers um and the children took the lead so the children led which path and which direction at the children's pace so if you we go fast children go slow so if we actually let the children take the lead generally speaking it'll be a lot slower pace than if we take the lead and hurry everyone along 
Um, so not once did I hear the words, hurry up, let's go, let's go, hurry up. It was very calm, very unrushed. And just so as we were walking along the pathway, one of the children saw some um, walnuts on the floor, um, picked up the walnuts. The teacher saw that they picked up the walnuts. They went over, they um, crouched down, got to the children's level, pulled out a pocket knife from their pocket and just started to cut open this walnut. Um, And the children were just handing it out to everyone to taste, to taste the different, um, to taste the walnut. So once we were done tasting, we went along. The children saw a bull in the paddock next door. So they were looking at the bull. Then they were looking at the trees. Then they were looking at the pine cones. Then some children picked up some sticks and were like, you know, sword fighting with the sticks. Then they were running along this pathway. Um, Then they saw these wind chimes made out of um, bamboo in the bush and they were making noises with those. Um, another little girl was looking, was just wanted to stay behind and keep looking at the bull in the paddock. So one of the teachers stayed behind with her whilst the other children were walking ahead with the other teacher. And then we looked back at the, we looked back and the little girl actually needed to go to the bathroom. And she, she, so the teacher literally just pulled, pulled down. They all had, I might preface this by saying that in this setting, they all had outdoor clothes on. Um, So they all had their gumboots all ready to go from home. They all had their wet pants on, um, ready to go from home. Um, It was hot, so they didn't need all of their other gear on, but they just needed the bottoms um, and the gumboots. I'm sure in winter they um, may pack them with other jackets and things as well but she just pulled down the the pants um, she held her up um so she could wee without getting her pants um wet and she just weed there in the bush um like it was no big deal um and we continued through with the children looked closely at some fungi um as we were walking through um and then one of the educators she she, the children were hiding inside this um, tree and one of the educators, she was pretending to be, um, you know, I don't really know, a mummy or a monster or something and to like scare the children out of the tree. And I love this moment because the teacher, one of the children was getting really tired because it was really close to lunch and um, this little boy was getting really tired. And I think in a lot of places, this would actually trigger you to go back being like, oh, they're really tired. Like, I think it's time to go back. Instead of it triggering the whole group to go back, the teacher literally picked up the child, put the child on her back and like piggybacked him the whole way, the rest of the way so that he could rest and he could have a sleep if he wanted to. Um, But it didn't stop the other children as they were walking through the bush um, and she played, she joined in, she put the, her jacket over her head um, to dress up and it was just beautiful. And then they had a dog there at that school as well. So the dog joined them for the walk. Um, as we were walking through, there was all these beautiful signs. Um, this particular setting also shared their school with a um, a place that had adults with additional needs. Um, and they had a, they had horses that they um, were therapy for these adults with additional needs and they would come um, and cook in the kitchen and it was at the back of the school and they'd share the building with them um, and the horses. So we saw the horses walking through the bush as well um, and the children just moved to the side while the horses went through. The signs in the bush, one of them was really beautiful, all in Italian, but translated it meant learn 
to listen to silence and you will discover how populated nature is. Um, so that was really, really beautiful. And the children were jumping in puddles as we went back. Um, we saw it, we heard a big horn. So when we arrived back, there was this big fog horn that they played um, to let every alert everyone it was time for lunch. And then the children washed their hands, took off all their gumboots, put them on the racks. So they used pallets um, and stored the gumboots all upside down in the pallets. Um, at this school, they each had their... Um, wet cloth which they used um they're all on little hooks with their names um and they used that to dry their hands after they wash their hands as well so um and again they also started their day around the fire having morning tea talking about what they wanted to do for the day um and it was just a really beautiful flow of the day um, so let's talk about some specifics, right? So we did ask, you know, are we going to experience Reggio Emilia? Obviously, you think of Italy, you think of Reggio Emilia. Are you going to look at that? And no, the settings that we went to were not Reggio Emilia. Um, they were private associations, which the parents pay for the children to stay there. Um, and they didn't get any government funding. So when they talk about Reggio Emilia, it is different um, what they call zones so Reggio Emilia or Reggio in Reggio Emilia kindergarten is only in Reggio Emilia so they also have Montessori there as well um, and Reggio inspired and Emilia Romania which is a huge organization and that's the public system so they have different systems there so and but actually it was really interesting to hear that Montessori was actually the most popular um, in Italy. And that was really interesting. Obviously, Maria Montessori is also from Italy um, and the Reggio Emilia approach or philosophy is from Italy as well and that region of Italy. So um, very, very different, the services that we went to. And, and if I'm honest, I'm really grateful for that. Not that I take away, I mean, Reggio Emilia part I think it's important to take bits and pieces, um, but I was really grateful to experience something that I had never experienced before. And I've taken a lot in my practice and in my knowledge that I'm looking forward to applying and inspiring people in services as well. So um, in this first service where they had 45 children, um, two to five-year-olds, their fees, so which was interesting, were um, 360 to 420 euros per month. So the way I work it out in Australian dollars is euros pretty much double. So let's just say that's about $840 per month um, were the fees for the children to attend. They had two sessions at their school. So they had an, um, session one, which was 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then the children get picked up. Um, or session two was a full day session. So 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Um, there were three groups with two teachers each. Um, so their legal ratios, um, one to 25 um, one to 14 and then here but their ratio that they adhered to there was one to eight now they all at this school they only had one child with additional needs um, and it was really beautiful we, we couldn't even tell like and I'm going to be honest like we could not even tell who this child was and they pointed them out to us but throughout the day you couldn't even see you couldn't even tell and there are a lot of conversations about whether um, y you know 
trapping children in four walls and keeping them trapped inside and having a very structured approach to their early years was actually causing more issues such as anxiety, ADHD, um, you know, and, you know, some special needs as for children. Are we, are we causing that? So by seeing these children free and seeing them be able to be themselves, um, you, you didn't even, t- you couldn't even tell, you didn't even know. Um, and the child was really beautiful um, and just able to be themselves. And I guess in, in this context, it was true freedom. So the children cannot attend the school if they're in nappies. Um, so the t- if, if the child um, does, the school will call the family to come and change them. Um, now, there's no supervisors. So the structure of this school is that all the teachers are in charge of of this project um so that's the setting the they call it a project um and all the teachers are in charge now every single person at this project gets paid the exact same rate no matter what qualification they are so they get paid eight euros per hour which is um if i double that with my mass it's approximately 16 australian dollars per hour and every single person gets paid the same they do planning in the moment, um, so they don't do pre-planning. They have their phones with them, so they take very, very little, but some photos throughout the day to document their learning um, and to share with families. And um, what else have we got here? I just made some notes about the trip. And um, as I said, parent volunteers run the kitchen, um, which I thought was a really beautiful thing that we might be able to implement a lot more here. If we offer to pay parents for their time um, and actually complete things. So for example, like if you have your cook off for the day and you're, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh, who's going to go in the kitchen? Is there like a relief roster that you can maybe call one of your parents to come in and you pay them for the day? Um, really have a think about how, how we can utilize parents not only their hobbies and what they're good at but maybe even their career or their job or their expertise you know can we pay them to to come in into our environment to teach um even in the other schools they had um parents come in to teach the children english for example so do you have one of your families that could come in and teach the children a foreign language um, they believed that numbers and letters, um, the, they said only if the children wanted to or if they were interested, but it's from six years of age only. Um, they give practitioners the language to use. And um, so, for example, can you show me where that is in the framework um, to be able to prove and show that? Um, what else? No technology at all. Um, yeah, so no technology. And for me, like Italy was a really beautiful place. Um, and I know we talked a lot about, um, play. So, um, we talked a lot about the description, like what is play and the, this is a four-year-old and, and I was really, really lucky to be able to spend this whole month with Nikki Bukan. And this is her description of play from a four-year-old. And the four-year-old describes play as play is when adults stop telling me what to do. And isn't that so powerful? that the child can have control. And of course, you need to have boundaries. And of course, you need to talk to the children about rules um, and structure and rituals and how that works. But I think 
it, this started me on a bit of a journey with thinking about like, what is the problem? Why are we so, because these settings were so relaxed, so relaxed. Everyone was so happy. Everyone loved what they did. The children were, you know, and it was just the true meaning of what freedom looked like for children or could look like. Um, So it got me questioning around control. So do we feel that we have to have too much control and what will happen if we let go of that control? So I really want you to think about that for yourself and think about that in your setting and think about if it is really child-centered, which is what it should be, which is in all of our documentation of the EYLF, um, you research about children, research about play, Are we allowing the children to take control and have that autonomy in their world and in our environments? What does it look like? And the, the biggest question I think we need to ask ourselves is, one, what can it look like and what can it be? But two, if you were a child in your setting, how would you respond so every child, every behavior that a child has is trying to tell us what, what they need. And are we listening? Are we listening to that? Um, what else? So we did raise the question with them around um, the safety in the farm, for example. And they said that they have many conversations with the children around safety with the animals um, when they visit the farm. So that's a conversation they have with the children and they trust the children and they know their animals. Um, All of the teachers had different qualifications. So, for example, any teacher can come and work in the setting and then, um, you know, they really encourage them to study within the service. So one of the teachers there, he he had a um, degree in psychology um, and he worked out that he just, this is something he loved and he wanted to work with children. And, um, but I just loved how creative they all were and hands-on. Every single thing was hands-on. It was versatile um, and they utilized all the spaces. Um, And they were just outside for the entire day. Um, it was just truly, truly incredible. Um, obviously, the most amazing thing about the space or about the experience in Italy was the group of people that we went with. They were truly just amazing. And not only did we learn um, so much from the environments, but we also, the conversations and questions and reflections we had with each other was um, was truly inspiring and amazing as well. So we were lucky after the trip to go and visit some of their services um, in the UK as well. So I'll talk about that in, in future episodes and also you know some confrontation like a con- I felt quite confronted in in Iceland so I'll share that in the episode about Iceland as well so I guess my takeaways from um, Roma um, from Italy you know is you know how do you balance but what's the balance between indoor and outdoor usage like is indoors necessary like when do you go indoors And what do you use it for? Do you have the same opportunities outside as you do inside? Um, 
you know, around supervision, what does that look like for you? But the biggest one that I want you to think about is control. I think that that is something that we really need to look at. And the a need for control often comes back to a need for perfectionism or a need. But I think you need to, re- I think we all, not you, but I think we all need to reflect around control and what that means for us. So if you have any questions about our journey in Italy or my journey in Italy, please let me know. Happy to answer them. Um, Otherwise, um, stay tuned for our next episode where we discover all about early childhood in Iceland. Um, Hope you all have a rest or the rest of an amazing week. Um, And I look forward to catching you next week. Please touch base. I love it when you all say hello um, and touch base and let me know which episodes you're loving. Um, I'm always keen to hear from you around content that you would like us to discover in future episodes. Um, It's always nice to know that what we're putting out out there is useful and helping you. Um, Today's episode was really about inspiration and inspiring you to think outside the box, challenge your thinking um, and really critically reflect um, around aspects of your practice and make sure that it's actually based on research and based on the best interests of children because that's why we're here. All right, guys, keep making every moment count and I can't wait to catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.